0: Luke chapter 7. There was a lot in chapter 6. Jesus preached a lot in a few words. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, Here in in chapter 7, it's right after he's he's preached that sermon on the plane and shared what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. So it's not surprising that right after Jesus shares, here's what it means to follow me and here's what that ought to look like, that the next chapter starts with him showing us what that looks like, in action, being what he's just preached. And that's what we find here in Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at two examples this week of uh, people that he encountered and the faith that he encountered and the needs that he encountered and how he reacted to that when he did and see if we can't learn a little bit about how we can, we can better meet needs and act like Jesus, which is, which is our primary concern. And the reason we come together, the reason we celebrated the resurrection last week is because Jesus has promised us by that resurrection that he can change us and transform us to be better people than we've ever been before. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So read this first. When Jesus had finished saying and I have that up there for you. Now I'm re- let me tell you this is the new NIV and this is the old NIV. So every now and then mine might sound just a little bit what they did for the new NIV is they took the words and they put them in a jumble and then let it fall back. I'm pretty sure that's the way that worked. And so it might just sound it might just be backwards. I have no idea. Uh but it might be slightly different. And if you let me say this too, while we're on that topic, if you use the U version, it's on there. When Jesus had uh, finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There, a servants, there a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. When I lost my spot because my words were jumbled. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. And I just want to stop actually right there for just a second and point out a couple of things. One is where they are. They're in Capernaum. This is a city that's obviously you can tell by the name it's a Roman city, right? It's a Roman city with a Jewish uh, population, a Jewish enclave. It was Jesus, uh, basically his base of operations for the years of his ministry. You see him going back to Capernaum several times. And this is actually the second time already in the book of Luke that he's back in Capernaum. That's important for a couple of reasons. One is that people in Capernaum by this point, they know about who he is. They've heard him speak. They've heard him teach. They've seen him perform miracles. And so it's not really surprising. We're going to find some things that are surprising, but it's not surprising that somebody in Capernaum would say, I've got a sick servant. Maybe I should go to Jesus. OK, that that would have been actually a, a, a pretty Sound decision to make at this point. They've heard about him, seen him, and witnessed some of the things he was doing. And he found this a more welcoming city than his own hometown, a more welcoming city than Jerusalem. And so that's why he would go back there, recharge, and then go back out again, uh, kind of like Paul would on his missionary journeys after that. So, this is, this is where we are. So, when they, when they came to Jesus, they plead with him, this man deserves to have you do this. Uh, because our, he loves our nation and has built our synagogue, and so Jesus went with him. Now, there too is another thing. He loves our nation, and they're talking about Israel, not Rome. And he actually helped us build our synagogue. A Roman Gentile Roman centurion, an occupier. Okay, this is a centurion in the occupying force of their land. So this is this would be uh, this would be like if Custer, instead of killing Native Americans, had actually built some of their encampments. That's how different, okay? Same kind of a thing. He was not far from the house of the centurion and when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. We'll come back to that. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, turning to the crowd, following him, and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Okay, a couple of things let's catch about this this centurion. Let me go back. It says first that when he was not far from the house, he had sent friends to say to Jesus, don't trouble yourself. Look at what he says. "Don't, Don't tell Jesus he has to come all the way to the house. Because I don't deserve to have him under my roof. That's a humility I think even a lot of Christians don't have. And I don't say that uh, to, to, like, make Christians feel guilty. I say that because Jesus looked at his own people, Israel, and said, I don't see this. I don't see this attitude everywhere. In fact, sometimes Jesus saw the opposite. Sometimes some of the Jews didn't think that he was worthy to be under their roof. And sometimes in the church and sometimes in our society at whole, There are people who don't believe Jesus deserves to be in their house either. They would never say so, I don't think. They wouldn't ever say, don't bring him in here. But by decisions made and attitudes held, Jesus is kept at the the door and not welcomed into the heart of the home. This guy, a Gentile Roman, who normally would have been worshipping pagan gods if he worshipped at all, says, you know, I don't even deserve to have this guy in my house. If he can help, let him help, but don't make him come back. And that tells us two things. One, an incredible humility, okay? an incredible humility. But the other is this. He believes Jesus works and understands that he is the son of God and understands that he is limited not by time or by space and geography. And that's more than even a lot of believers who were official believed that's more than sometimes we believe that Jesus is everywhere and works everywhere that his authority does not end where his feet end he understood this already so whatever he had been paying attention to whatever he had heard in Jesus teachings whatever he had seen in what Jesus could do he had already an incredibly deep faith and he's not even done then it goes on he says I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you Humility again. I didn't consider myself worthy. Now, maybe he's got some things in his life that made him feel that way. We have no idea. Maybe he's got some things he's ashamed of. Maybe he sits there. Maybe maybe part of building the synagogue, yes, he doesn't, he doesn't agree with his nation's occupation and the way that they're treating these people of faith. Maybe he sees some of the injustice in his own job and in the orders that he's often given. I don't know. Maybe he just knows what he's like when he looks in the mirror, when he gets ready every morning. He knows, like we often know, when we look in the mirror, man, I could have done yesterday a whole lot better than I did. For whatever reason, he says, I don't deserve to have you even in my house, but I care about my servant. Well, that's another thing, isn't it? How many, not even centurions, not masters with servants, how many just employers There are some great employers in the world, but how many employers do not give a twit about their employees when they get sick? You see a a meme passed around Facebook all the time that says about your job, remember that no matter how hard you work today, no matter what sacrifices you make, no matter how long you stay, they can replace you in 24 hours and will if you die. Right? Right? And yet this guy is not like that, is he? Do you think he could have replaced a slave within 24 hours? Oh, sadly, he could. He's a centurion. He can replace them within minutes. And yet that's not what he wanted to do because he cared about the servant. I don't believe we're reading when he says that he considered this, this servant to be very valuable to him, that he was thinking about the price he paid at an auction block. It seems in the heart of this centurion, he sees him as a person first and a servant second. And that he actually cares and values this person, which is exceptional in his world. I, we don't get how exceptional this is. But Jesus did. He's very impressed with the man. He says, say the word, my servant will be healed. He believed that strongly in Jesus. You just have to say it. Don't come to my house because I don't deserve to have you. I really don't even deserve to be standing in front of you. If you were to say the word... I know it will be done. And I know it will be done because you have authority as the Son of God and the Messiah. Me, I'm I'm just a centurion. And yet, even when I say go, they go. When I say jump, they say how high. And I am nothing compared to you. That's what he basically says. I'm nothing compared to you. So if you'll just say the word, I know this man will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Let that sink in. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. What does it take to amaze the Son of God who was there and through whom the universe was created? That when God said, let there be light, it was through Jesus that the light actually came to be. We're told that later on in the book of Colossians chapter 1, that everything was created through him, by him, and for him. And he's amazed. And maybe that says something about humanity. More than it says about Jesus. Maybe he's amazed because we've let him down that many times. Maybe he's amazed because we're so doubtful or so fearful. But he's amazed at this man's faith. And he even brags about him to everybody else. You guys seeing this? Before he even heals the servant. That's how much Jesus is impressed by this. Before he even heals the servant. He says, you guys seeing this? I don't find this in you. I haven't found it in Jerusalem or Judea or Galilee. I haven't seen this anywhere. This is incredible. Do you see this guy's faith? And I bet you this guy, by the attitude we've seen already, it's probably the first time his soldiers have seen their commanding officer shy, humble, like this, and not wanting to be talked about and praised. But he doesn't. I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel and the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I wonder if they ran. I have no idea. But I wonder if they ran. I guarantee you somebody ran back and gave him the word. How cool would that be to be one of his his soldiers who runs and goes, well, look at that. When you see this guy sitting up and talking again that the guy had had so much compassion on When we look at this story, it's kind of funny. We're looking at Jesus, but we're also looking at the impact that Jesus has. So the centurion is not a likely guy. And we're bad. We're really bad judgments of character, aren't we? How many times have we misjudged other people in things big and small? We thought there were people who were who were angry, who actually were just thinking about some things. We thought there were people who were happy, who were actually completely hiding things. They were broken hearted over. We thought there were people who were snotty, who were actually humble. There are people we thought were humble. They're actually snotty. I once worked in a church where there was a deacon who who had a laugh stutter. Everybody thought he was really happy because they thought he was laughing all the time. Not if you listen to the words between the laughs. Sometimes he's being pretty cranky. Sometimes he's being downright ornery and mean. But it sounded like, "Uh, you're an idiot. And so they thought he was being nice. You know, that sort of a thing. And so we misjudge things all the time. Rex Boyles, one of my teachers at AIM, he used to tell this story about how when he was a young youth minister, the preacher uh, told him he wanted him to go and study with a guy that he had been studying with. He said, I think you ought to take it over. I think it'd be a good experience for you and I think it'd be good for him. So he said, "Okay, I'll do it. And they went over to this this apartment. They get to the apartment building and the apartment's up on the second floor and they go up to the door and they knock on the door and this big red-headed, long red-headed, muscly, you know, Esau sort of a character, okay? You could have you could have fooled a blind man with goat hair thinking it was him. Bright red hair, Harley Davidson in his living room, which he had to have hauled up the stairs. Think about that one for a second. Big old guy comes and fills the doorway. Yeah. <laughs> and my Rex said he he, he kind of did this thing back on the porch, you know, and looked at his friend Doug like you sure you don't want to take this one? <laughs> you know? And he's thinking, and Rex is not a very tall guy, so he's having to look up to him and everything. And he said, "There's," he, said, he thought, there is no way this guy wants to know anything about Jesus. He's got rough stuff tattooed all over him. He's, you know, big and hairy and sleeveless and leathers and that sort of a thing. You get the picture. And he's that kind of, a, if Haas had been a Hell's Angels, that's who he'd have been. And here he is looking at him thinking, there's no way this man does not want to know Jesus. Man was baptized later that night or that week, came to know Jesus, had an incredible heart for the Lord. And Rex said that taught him a lot that night. You don't know what's in a man's heart. And when you judge by the skin, you judge wrongly almost all the time, almost all the time. We're just, we're just so far off, and we all think we're great at it, and nobody's great at it. Even the people that we think are the greatest at it, that's only because they're telling you the 10% that they got right. They're not telling you about the other 90% that they got absolutely wrong. And we judge people all the time that way, and we won't talk to them about Jesus because we think they're not going to want to know. They're not going to care. They're going to tell me no. And we're wrong. How many people have we missed because they look like a Roman centurion? That we assumed was too prideful to ever bend his knee to Jesus. How many people have we missed? Because we thought, nah, that's the enemy. They don't think like we think. They don't live like we live. They have other gods. They have other ways of living. They have other ways of thinking. My goodness, I think they're even an independent voter. And we just think there's no way. I heard some of them were from Arkansas. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What did Jesus do? He looked at the guy's faith. He listened to the guy's need. He met the guy's need, raised his servant back to wellness. He was sick and dying, and he saved his life. And he loved the man, and he recognized his faith and recognized his humility and even held him up before people of belief and said, Look at this guy. This guy gets it. How many people have we missed Because we misjudge and we miss the opportunity to know somebody who gets it. Take every opportunity. Never judge. Just share. That's what Jesus did. And that's why he found people that we haven't yet found. And uh, brought people into the kingdom that we might have just directed down the street. Soon afterward... He goes to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. I want to stop right there. That's a weird circumstance. None of us are comfortable at funerals, are we? We're even less comfortable at other people's funerals. It used to be that it was the custom in towns in texas that when a funeral procession went through the town square people would actually come out of the businesses and the banks and the courthouse and they would stand in honor of the person going being taken by in the hearse how many of, i'm curious how many of you have ever seen that happen anybody i lived in bonham bonham still did it when i was there in the 90s i have no idea if they still do or not it's gotten very rare in fact When I was in in New York in the early 90s, I was shocked to find that there were people who would actually pass funeral processions in traffic, just blow right on by them. You know what? Texans do it too now. It's the same thing happens here because I've seen them do it on early boulevard. I've seen them do it on commerce. I've seen them do it on 84 and I've seen it from within the procession. And I've seen it when I pulled over and, and had people pass me because I pulled over. I've seen him do it for ambulances, too. Drives me nuts. Probably drives you guys nuts. It's it, People are only thinking about themselves, but not Jesus. And he did something that would be incredibly awkward. And I don't encourage you. I always want to encourage you to be like Jesus. I don't want to encourage you to copy this. Okay? I don't think that's what it was meant for us to learn. But Jesus walks up to the dead body. Okay? That's what he does. He walks up to the dead body and walks up to the widow And it says his heart goes out to her. Now, there's something that always happens here. I've told you this before to watch for this. Whenever Jesus' heart goes out in compassion, something always happens. There's always action. There's never just feeling. It never just works that way. The first thing he does is he walks up to the widow and he says, don't cry. Well, that had to shock her because, of course, she's going to cry for crying out loud. A widow in that time and day would have hired professional criers to come with her to cry to make it louder. That's what they did. We don't do that. But they hired professional mourners. Can you imagine how dramatic a professional mourner would be in our day and time? I'm, I've seen some people who could have been professional mourners, you know, that just they, they carry on and you're sitting there going, wasn't she just like a 25th cousin? What, what in the world is going on? And you see that happen every now and then. But This is what would have happened. He says, don't cry. And some of there are people who would have looked at Jesus today if he tried this, would have looked at him and slapped him, tell me not to cry. it's my funeral, I'll cry if I want to. And then you break into the song, the adaptation of it's my party. You know that's right. And that's what we would do. Verse 14, he goes up and he touches. Did they put that word in there? In this NIV 2011, it might as well say night with Evan pinion. They go we're going to say he goes up to the coffin. It wasn't really a coffin, it's probably more like a like a stretcher. But he goes up to it and that they're carrying him on and the bearers stood still. Yeah they did. What do you do if you're a pall bearer and somebody starts coming up and raising up the cloth? Hey, you in there? <laughs> you know what would you do? Well I'd stop, look, see if anybody moves, that sort of thing. He says, Young man, I say to you, get up. At this point you almost wonder what the look on the pallbearer's faces might have been, right? Were they laughing? Were they curious? Were they mad? Could have been angry. Why is this man mocking us? Why is he disrupting this funeral? Young man, I say to you, get up. And the man gets up and starts talking. I wish we knew what he said. If it's like every other dead person that Jesus raised, it was, get me a sandwich. Because they all seem to be hungry. And Jesus always says, go back, you know, get him something to eat. Can you imagine that? It's like that guy on Duck Dynasty. Where's my sandwich? What's that guy? Martin? Is that his name? The dead man sat up, began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. What well, do you think the look on her face is. Well, you might run from your own child. I don't know how that would work. Gives back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. I can't talk. Praise God. The great prophet has appeared among us, they said. And God has come to help his people. Shouldn't that always be the impression we get when we see Jesus? God's come to help His people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. It's not an easy life being a widow in the first century. A lot of you know this stuff. Women did not have equal rights. Women had the rights of a child, and children did children did not have much rights. Okay, they didn't have many rights. So it was it was low, low, low on the totem pole. When you die, when a husband died, the inheritance didn't even go to the widow. The inheritance went to the son. When the son died, it went to whoever he designated. It didn't go to the widow. Because it didn't go to a woman. It just didn't work that way. And you if if all the men in your family were gone, so was all of your opportunity and so were all of your rights. Your life has just gotten ten times harder, at least, in that century. There's no social security. Okay? There's no widowers. widowers benefits to be passed on to the widow. There is no health insurance, life insurance, or anything of the sort. And there you are, with very little ability to earn income. Now, you could be a Proverbs 31 woman and sell your stuff in the market, but you're also the low totem pole in the market. People are going to try to take advantage of you, as they did every woman that day. Her life is scary. And I have to believe that every step they had in that procession, that her dread of the moment that body went into the ground and the reality hit, grew. But then Jesus comes along and gives her her son back. One hard part about this story for me is this. I love what Jesus does. I love that he shows that compassion is action. It is that love that does something to help somebody but a frustrating part of this story for me is always the fact that I can't do that. Okay? I've been to a lot of funerals. I've spoken a lot of funerals. Uh, and you would love to be able to just fix things. Even when it's not death that's knocking at the door. And it's just hardship and frustration and, and things going on that are just out of your control, that break your heart. You would just love to be able to say, let me fix that. And you can't always fix that. Sometimes you have literally nothing to offer to even begin to fix that. What do you do? One of the promises of coming into the kingdom, and it's one I've seen that's come true, that God has has shown over and over and over again. Matthew 19, verse 29, Jesus says that whoever leaves brother and sister and father and mother on account of me will gain brother and sister and father and mother a hundred times over again in the kingdom of God. And he's right. He says, if you follow me, I will guarantee you, you are never alone. If, even if you have to leave your family behind to follow me, you are never alone. And that may be because your family doesn't want any part of you. Or it may just be because of distance. As you follow Jesus, he takes you places that you're far away from family. God always fills those gaps, doesn't he? He does. I can assure you that he absolutely does. I got Russian brothers and sisters in New York, Yankee brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And and let me tell you, Jesus people in the north are Jesus people. If that doesn't get an amen. You need to repent because <laughs> you got some bigotry in you that has superseded your Christianity. We find in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters and, and mothers and fathers all over again. You find children all over again. That's what I was thinking about this this was this morning. I had to actually, I woke up and put it on my phone so that by the time I got to the kitchen, I wouldn't forget it. Y'all ever had that problem? Okay. It starts sooner than they tell you. It's not when you're 90. I've been doing it since I was 12. I'm telling you, I've said before, and I probably forgot that I told you this already. But when I saw the commercials as a kid when I was about 12 about it, do you ever get to this top of the stairs? To yeah, top of the stairs. That doesn't sound right. It sounds like a tongue twister. To the top of the stairs and forget why you're there. Yes, yes, I do. Do you ever open the refrigerator and forget whether you were looking for something or putting something up? I'm 12 years old, and I'm going, yes, I do. You know, do you ever, every single one of them, yes, I do that all the time. You might have Alzheimer's. What? At 12 years old? I don't know. It's been going on for 35 years now, so apparently it works. The, the truth is, though, I forgot where my point was going. Don't you hate it when that happens? I got it. I woke up this morning thinking about this, and it, and it just suddenly hit me. And I, and I really did. I, I put a note on my phone so that it would sync to my laptop so that by the time I went from there to there, I would still remember it because I do know myself. You know, I know myself that well. And so I, I got in there and, and found it. and went, "Ooh, that's a good point. I wonder who wrote that on my notes. But Matthew... Uh, uh, 1929, when he says that, maybe he's also given us some instructions, not just a promise. We can't raise the widow's son. I can't go to the funeral and bring people back. Neither can you. But you can be a son. You can be a daughter. You can be a brother. You can be a sister. You can be a mother or a father to someone in the faith who's lost their son, the brother, the sister, the father, and the mother. Can't you? You can go and be the person that helps them encounter, deal with, and overcome what lies ahead through faith in Jesus and the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't always replace, but we can fill the gaps. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. You can stand in the gap for other people, with compassion and humility, so that when they've lost son, daughter, brother, sister, husband, wife, they have a family that's there. And in that way, life wins, doesn't it? Because even though one has passed, when five others, ten others, twenty others come and stand in the gap, there's blessing and there's life. Life wins when we become these kinds of people, like the centurion who sees his servant sick and doesn't care about rank and doesn't care that it means humbling himself before one of these obnoxious, occupied people who instead sees the Son of God and the Messiah. Humbles himself and says, Would you please help my servant? Because he deserves it. Life wins. When we stand in that gap, pray for those, bring those to Christ who need Christ. Life wins when we don't misjudge the centurion and share the gospel with him. I think it's cool that these Jews actually went to Jesus and said, hey, we know he's supposed to be the enemy, but this guy is good and he deserves it. It's good when we stand up for people who should on paper be opposed to us, who should on paper be our enemies but by faith are becoming our brothers, becoming our sisters. This is who God calls us to be. This is who Jesus was and is and is to come. And it's what a church is when it's really on its mission. And then life wins. That's the resurrection in action. Bringing people back to life in Christ by the good news fleshed out in love and in faith, And in humility. If you want to join that mission. We do that. When we confess Christ. When we put Christ on in baptism. And surrender our lives to him. Just as the centurion did that day in a sense. And say you know what. I'm not even worthy to be here. But if you'll take me. I'm yours. I'm going to join you. And I'm going to fill the gap. And stand in the gap for people who need to know Jesus too. And we join him in that mission. Even as he saves us. We commit to save others. If you want to join him in that today, we always offer that opportunity. If you need prayers, we will pray with you. You can either come down here. You can go to the back. One of our elders will be glad to meet you there and pray with you. Or you can just grab a brother or sister and say, hey, would you pray for me? However you need to do it. How is not the important part. That you find the strength you need and the encouragement you need. That is. We invite you to that as we stand and as we sing.